let me, uh, let me just start, and then um, today's going to be, like I said, a little bit different. So here's what, let me explain in case you haven't been here or you forgot what we're doing coming up. Um, we, I just felt, uh, I guess this was two or three weeks ago, I felt the Lord really wanting to get everybody on the same level on basic stuff. Because what I've realized is there's sometimes I will, I'll teach messages or, you know, read through scriptures or say things in passing. And then later on, I'll go back and think about that and be like, I don't know if, if everybody knew exactly what I was talking about. Even on basic stuff. Like when I say the word, and we're going to talk about this today. When I say salvation, I have one idea in my head that has been refined for the past 10 months. But that's me. Not everybody has that same idea. You know what I mean? Some of you guys, when I say saved, immediately, and not that this is bad or wrong, but immediately if I say uh, so-and-so saved, you will say, awesome, they're going to heaven when they die. So the way that you process that and now the way I process that are now completely different ways. You know what I'm saying? And so what I, what I really, and then once we go even deeper into that, if we don't all come from the same uh, place, I guess, the same starting point, then no matter how deep we go, we're all still on different levels. You see what I'm saying? So if I start, you know, here and you guys start here and then we go deep and deep and deep and deep and deep, we're still not on the same level. And so what I think over the next just, you know, few weeks, the Lord wants to do is walk through some of these basic milk, Paul would call them, things to get us all on the same level with them. That way, as the Lord takes us deeper, we're all on the same level no matter how deep we go. Y'all good? Awesome. Praise the Lord. So, Today we're going to talk about the word, what it means to be saved. And, uh, and if you're like, oh man, I already know what it means to be saved, I promise you don't. So uh, go to John 3, go to John 3, and, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll live there for, for just a little bit. And I'm also, what I'm going to also do is I'm going to, try to, I'm going to give y'all um, main points in this. So I'm not, I'm not in these next few weeks trying to teach a master level college course. Um, I want kids to be able to take stuff from this. You know what I'm saying? So, so I'm going to... I'm going to try my best to keep it, keep it on level ground. Um, one more thing, I just want to throw this out there. Uh, obviously, I know y'all saw we changed the seating arrangement. I like it a lot better. Um, but uh, also, if there's anything, and I say this very cautiously, I say this very cautiously, but if we're walking through this, if something just like hits you and you want to throw it in there, feel free to do that. You know what I'm saying? Don't do that unless you feel like it's the Lord giving you something to throw in there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, but, but if you feel it, just, just release it. It's just family. It's not professional um, uh, conference. So anyway, all right, here we go. The New Testament, and I might use this. If I do, I'll make sure everybody can see it. The New Testament word for saved, the New Testament word for saved is the Greek word sozo. Okay, the, the word sozo means, here's what it means. It means to save, to heal, to preserve, to rescue, to deliver from danger, to cure. That's, that's become one of my favorites right there, to cure. I love that. Uh, to make well, to restore, to recover, and I could keep going and going and going. That's the main ones, okay? So when I say saved, it's what's packed within that word is save, heal, preserve, rescue, deliver from danger, cured, made well, restored, recovered. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of stuff. So here's, here's my definition. This is my definition of saved, okay? Made whole. If you want to write that down, 
this is, this is the definition we're going to roll with. It's made whole. Um, the other way you could say this, and like I said, this has become one of my favorites, is cured. Cured. I think that is so good. Saved. What if, what if when you thought about being saved, you thought in terms of being cured? That, uh, that's, I mean, that's awesome to me. So, Jesus did not primarily, primarily, okay? This is included, so, but he did not primarily save us from hell or even for heaven. Primarily, again, that's included, but I'm talking about what his aim was. Jesus made us whole for life, for living, okay? Salvation is not about what happens when you die, it's about the quality of how you live. Salvation is not about what happens when you die. It's about the quality of how you live. And if the quality of how you live is whole, what happens when you die? Heaven, okay? So uh, what happens when you die is just the result of the life that you have lived. That's it. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is. He's he's taught to store up treasure in heaven. So as you're living, you're storing up treasure that you will eat from, the fruit of it you'll eat from when you are eternally with the Lord. Do you know what I'm saying? So he's marrying the idea of how you live will culminate into how you live. But the aim of what Jesus is doing is how you live. Okay, none of the language in the New Testament ever has anything to do with Jesus did this so that when you die, dot, 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 none of it. In fact, and this is, this is maybe for another week, but just to jump a little bit ahead, um, this is why people are shocked when I say this, and I guess it's because we haven't read a lot of the New Testament, but um, the idea of hell and heaven, it's hard to find in the New Testament. New creation is all over the New Testament. But we've taken the idea of new, cre- like the streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl, all that stuff. That do, You do know the writers are talking about new creation when they're writing that, right? You're like, well, actually, I didn't know that. See, that's why we're doing this. You know what I'm saying? Like, so we took, we took bro, I can't wait till we're, heaven might have streets of gold. I mean, that may, that's, I'm, that'd be amazing. But the New Testament writers are, are looking into new creation. Why? Because their aim 100% of the time is how we live, okay? Here's why this makes sense. They're aiming at you being whole while you're breathing, and then their next aim is what happens after resurrection and new creation eternal. So there is a space... Here we go. I said I wasn't going to go deep, and now we're deeper than you've ever gone in seminary. Um, There is a space between when you breathe your last breath and resurrection and new creation, and that space is called heaven. Well, Paul calls it, I'd rather go be with Jesus. So let's say for the sake of being biblical, being with Jesus. Okay? So you die, you are with Jesus, and then resurrection and new creation. We, I mean, you, most, most people, maybe you've been taught this. Most people believe it's you die, you go to heaven, that's forever. And no, 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 no. 
It's you die, and then we're aiming at another point. This is why resurrection is so huge. Resurrection is you physically rising from the dead into a fully restored creation eternally. That, so Jesus dies on the cross, and then he rises again physically. How do we know Jesus rose again physically? Because Jesus is eating meals with them. People are touching them. You remember Thomas? He's, people are touching them. So Jesus is physical at the same time he's walking through walls, okay? Which is a lot of um, physics, but anyway. Uh, that sometimes, see, I might, I might choose one day on, on that topic, but we're not gonna do that today because that would blow y'all away. Um, but a lot of physics are proving faith and Jesus and the kingdom all right now. But what Jesus did was he modeled the point of everything, which is not that you die and float away, it's that you die and then ultimately you are raised, which means did you ever really die? Is that too deep? You know what I'm saying? You die, but you're with Jesus, but then you rise back up. So the question is, were you ever dead or were you waiting for eternal resurrection? Because there we have hope. Like when my, my aunt just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And it's like, man, the hope that I have in the view of God and the kingdom and everything that I have today compared to 15 years ago, 15 years ago, that loss would have rocked my world because it felt so final. Now we mourn it, but now it doesn't feel final. And if it does feel final, the only thing that feels final is the fact that she will rise again physically in resurrection and walk around and talk and do things as she was. That's hope. At least it's hope for me. Okay, so, uh, and by the way, sozo, the word sozo, saved, uh, we don't end that idea. You never truly die. That's all who believe in me shall not perish, die. We transition to a greater measure of living. So, so in John 3, we see the story, and I'm gonna read this. I'm just gonna read it down to 21. We see this story that is super familiar, but I wanna challenge you to just forget everything you thought you knew about this story because we have this lullaby effect that I talk about sometimes from Rabbi David Foreman. It's the idea, I got it. And it is where you've heard something so many times that you just like are completely glazed over to it. You know what I'm saying? Like I used the language a few weeks ago, like rockabye baby, the, the riddle, the, well, you know, what is that, nursery rhyme? Rockabye baby on the tree. You know that nursery rhyme's about a baby falling out of a tree and passing away. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> when the wind blows, the cradle will rock and down will come baby cradle and all. We sing it like, man, praise, that's amazing. You know what I'm saying? Because we don't even have a clue what we're saying. And so when we read stuff like John 3, 16, and we read things like, well, one, we don't read John 3, 17. We read John 3, 16, and we stop right there. Because if you ever made your way into John 3, 17, like we're about to do, it would clear up any confusion. So here we go. I'm excited about this. Now, verse one, there was a Pharisee. Okay, so a religious leader. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. This is a very high-ranking religious leader. Verse 2, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. We know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. I'm in the NIV, by the way, if anybody was wondering. Verse 3, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, unless they are born again. Um, the, Greek, the Greek is 
maybe more accurately, unless they're born from above. Um, anyway, remember that, unless they're born again. I need to mark that, born again, to make sure I hit it again, because sometimes I tell you I'm going to hit stuff and then completely forget. Okay, verse 4. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. That's really interesting. You should not be surprised. You should know, he's essentially saying, Nicodemus, you should know this. You should know this. Verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. There it is. I love that. I love that. That's why we worship like we do. We just chase the wind. You don't know where it's coming or you don't know where it's going. We just follow it. Verse 9, how can this be, Nicodemus asked, now check what Jesus says, verse 10. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. The Son of Man, and then the Greek also you could say who is from heaven. Uh, verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Here we go, lullaby. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Even reading that feels a little weird. Verse 17. For God, let's check this out, okay? So for God so loved the world he gave his only gotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, the verse that we never read. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, uh-oh, but to save the world through him. And that word is sozo, okay? We'll be right back to that. 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Ah, uh, this is so good. You ready? Here's the verdict. Here's God's judgment. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil, okay? The word there, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. And the word, the phrase, because their deeds were evil is a phrase of saying, the way that you know they love the darkness instead of light is because of their evil deeds. So in case you uh, missed that one, verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light. Remember this word evil, I'm gonna come back to it and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Okay, there we go, there we go. So 
Let me break down in John 3, 16, let me break down all the words, okay? And I, I know it's daylight savings, but, but this is going to be good. So y'all hang with me, write these down so you don't fall asleep, and, um, and I'm not going to judge you if you do not off. We'll just wake you back up and keep going. So um, it's all good. Uh, okay, in John 3, 16, okay, the word so, for God so loved, the word is huto, and it means in this manner or in this way, okay? In this way. The word for love is agape, which means to prefer, to take pleasure in, to long for. Listen, it denotes the love of admiration. So agape means you take pleasure in something, so you prefer the thing you take pleasure in. That's what it means. Really interesting. The word for the world is cosmos. It's literally the universe of things. I use the word creation. The word only begotten is monogenes, is, is in English is monogenes. In Greek, it's monogenes. But it's two words, mono, which means one, and genes, or genes, which is where we get the word genes from. One genes. So the only begotten, or God's one and only son. It means one of a kind. It means one of a unique kind. Okay? The word whoever, so when it says for God's love, that whoever believes the word whoever is pos. It literally is all or the whole. So right there, do you see there's a, there's a slight uh, liberty taken in translation even right there. That whoever believes. If you go to the Greek, the word pos literally means all. See what I'm saying? It's a little bit of liberty. It's okay. They probably came from Liberty University. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. So, um, uh, then did you go? You went to Liberty, didn't you? No, that was just a joke. It was just a joke. 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 They got a good football team. Um, the word believes is pistuyo, which comes from the word pistis, which is where we get the word faith. Here's what this word means, though. It means that which comes from God's in birthing of faith that we then trust in. So, so I would, if it were me, I would translate this entrusted with rather than believes because that's what the word is. Something that God has birthed in you that you simply begin to operate in. So if I tell you, you know, we're going to pray in faith, what I'm telling you is not, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, like, like the Polar Express. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if you believe, you'll hear the bell. That, and that's literally what we think faith is. Like the more you believe, the more you'll hear it ring. No, 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 no. The word faith is God has birthed something in you that you begin to pray out of. So to pray in faith is not to pray in a measure of belief. To pray in faith is to pray within the reality God himself has birthed in you apart from your doing. That's, that's massive. So now when we go and pray, that's why Jesus said, I do nothing I haven't seen the Father do. It's him saying, I do everything in faith. Amen. See, I do, I do something about liberty, and then you just, just let it rip. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I love you, Lauren. I love you, Lauren. So uh, that's probably the president right there, the, not the old one. Um, okay, I'm going too far. I'm going way too far. So God's inbirthing in you. Okay, now here, we're going to get real cool here. You ready? Almost done. The word shall not perish. Shall not perish is one word. It's apulomi, apulomi. And here's what the word means, shall not perish. It means to be lost, 
It means to be destroyed. It means to be ruined. It means to kill. Okay? But here's what's interesting. This word comes from two words. It comes from apo, which means away from, and olethros, which means death or destruction. Now listen, the, the word olethros emphasizes, check this out, you ready? It emphasizes loss that is the result of complete undoing. That's going to mean a lot in a second. Okay? Shall not perish. That is, he's speaking of something that is the result of you being completely undone. Undone from what? What was originally done. Okay. The word eternal, you ready? Is the word ahionios. Y'all need to know this Greek, but anyway, I'm just telling you so you don't think I'm lying. The word is ahionios, and it means age long. It has to do with the, I'm reading all this straight out of lexicon. Has, has to do with the character of that which lasts in age or eternally. It, the, the proper translation is age-like. It's an age characteristic or quality of God life manifested within man. So, hey, what's up? So it's not, to, to say eternal life is not to talk about the quantity of days within the life. You see what I'm saying? So when I say eternal life, I'm not saying you're going to live an eternal amount of days, though you will. Eternal life talks about the quality of the days that you live. So right now I'm living eternal because it's the quality of how you and I live that results in quantity. See, this is how we should be doing church. It's, we're gonna create a quality and that quality is going to begin to give us permission to move into quantity. Once you, once you re, let me give you an example. App, if, and you, if you use Android products, I know Matt does. This is just an example, okay? This isn't like law. But Apple products typically, typically operate a little better than Android products, okay? Typically. You know what I'm saying? My iPhone has started freezing actually lately, I'd say that. But that's because it's like 10 years old, okay? So, I mean, literally, it's, it's, I think it's six years old. So it has started acting up a little bit, but whatever. But for the sake of my, what I'm saying, Apple products typically are very reliable, yeah. right? So when iPhone comes out, one of the complaints, when an iPhone comes out, a new iPhone, one of the complaints is there's not that many new features. It's basically better versions of the old features, Right? Like when an iPhone comes out, there's not some new crazy technology. It's the camera, instead of being 10 megapixels, is now 12 megapixels. And the face ID is now 20% more accurate. And the, the screen is now like got a million more pixels in it. But it's all the same features. They're just better. Android, on the other hand, comes out with a new phone every week, just about. And the way that they uh, sell their product is by way of new features. So it's all these features that iPhones don't have, and that's the way they're trying to get the product out. But Apple, somehow, even though it keeps the same old features, they just keep getting better at the old features, somehow is still selling way more, pro and I don't know the technical, you know, way more products on an individual phone basis than Android. So if you compare the iPhone, I don't know, 13 sales to the Samsung, how many galaxies are there now, 195? You know what I'm saying? Galaxy million. Um, if you compare the sales of the two, 
Um, 20? 20. 20. Okay. So the iPhone 13 and the Android 20, Galaxy 20, if you compared those sales, I would dare say the iPhone is probably a lot higher. So the question is, is why is it that iPhones have become this like social thing that it's like cool to have an iPhone and everybody wants to have an iPhone and they work really good and everybody wants to have a Mac, et cetera. Why is that? It's because they have made the decision, we're going to be a company about the quality of our product rather than the quantity of our features. Let me say this. We're gonna be a company about the quality of our features rather than the quantity of our features. You see what I'm saying? So they're taking 10 features and they're doing them really, really well rather than 80 features doing them halfway or average. And what, what's happened? More people, so their focus on quality has produced quantity. You know what I'm saying? Their, their focus on the quality of their product has produced a hunger for the quantity of people that wants the product. The church, instead, we've said we're going to focus on quantity, and it works. The problem is, is there's no quality in any of the quantity. And if we have a huge amount of quantity, but we have no quality, what do we really have? Because the Pharisees had a ton of people following them, and they were all lost. Jesus had 12 following him, and they were all fully alive. And those 12 gave the good news to the entire known globe in their lifetime because they had what the Pharisees didn't have, which was quality. So Jesus came to do something not in terms of quantity. He came to do something in terms of your quality that we had given up. Okay, we'll get into that in a second. So this is what eternal means. Two more words. The word have Okay, see, these are little words that you just read right through, don't even think twice about. Check this word out. You ready for this? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have, the word have there, is the word in Greek, echo. It's where we get the English word, echo. And the Greek word means to hold or embrace as an echo sustains a sound wave. See, y'all, you, you just read right past that. Have eternal life, amazing, have, and just move right on. There's stuff packed in that one little word in Greek that we didn't even know was there. What he's saying is, so an echo, right now in the room, don't, I'm, when I clap my hands, I want you to hear the echo. You ready? So you hear how it echoes back and forth, right? The echo you're hearing is the same sound wave as where it came from. It's just being sustained in an environment where it bounces. Okay, so I release a sound, but because we're in an environment that is conducive to echoes, that sound lasts much longer than the original sound, but it's the same sound. It's the same wave. So when he's talking about might have eternal life, what he's talking about is something that is released from God life, but meets an environment or a person that is conducive to the echoing of that life, that that one life released from God begins to echo in us and in the next generation and the next generation and the people around us until the same God life frequency begins to explode way beyond the initial frequency. That's the word have. I mean, do you see this? This is amazing. Okay. And finally, the word life is zoe. 
and its fullness of life, its God life, its one restored to vitality. Listen to what the uh, lexicon said here. The, the word zoe is one restored to animation. Is that not awesome? One who has been given animation back. That's, I just, I don't know, I love that. This is literally, this is life to the full, Zoe, life to the full. So let me give you my translation of John 3, 16. See if this doesn't help a little bit, all right? This isn't copyrighted. This isn't in a Bible. This is my five-second translation. So here we go. John 3, 16. See if this doesn't hit you a little different. God showed his pleasure in and preference toward his creation by giving it his one-of-a-kind and fully God son. All that has been entrusted, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. All that has been entrusted with or have been entrusted with this son gift will no longer experience the loss from the undoing of original design, but will echo forth God's very life, which was and always will be our true original life. One more time. One more time. This is if you take all the Greek meanings and just slam them together in a paragraph, this is what you get. This is John 3, 16 in the Greek. That God showed his pleasure in and preference toward, agape, his creation by, this is how he did it, by giving it his one of a kind and fully God son. All that have been entrusted with this son gift all of them, will no longer experience loss, which is from an undoing of original design, but will echo forth God's very life, which was and always will be our true and original life. John 3.16. See? Very, 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 very different, which is why we're doing this, okay? Now, if you jump ahead to verse 17, let me read this one more time. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Uh, that, I mean, that's huge right there. God, this, by the way, this is Jesus talking about himself. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. <laughs> but, but to save the world through him. That's a, that's a completely different gospel. Completely different gospel. We said the cross was God's judgment. And it absolutely was. Not guilty. You know what I'm saying? God did not send his son into the world to condemn, to tell it how bad it was. God sent his son into the world to tell it what it really was that it forgot. The word condemn that Jesus uses literally is the word in Greek to judge or to decide. It's the word that means to decide. This would be the word in Greek right here would be the word for making a decision on someone's fate based on the evidence. This is a court language. So God did not send his son into the world to look at the evidence and give them a verdict based on what he saw in evidence. That's literally what the word condemn means. 
God did not send his son into the world to take a look around all their works and see if they were good enough and then give a verdict based on that. No, Jesus says, somebody's phone's going off, just let you know. So, uh, because I'm squirrel. That's condemned. The word might be two more, and then I, I think I'm, that's all the Greek I'm doing today. That's it. Two more and I'm done. The word might be, but this is fun. The word might be is not in the original Greek at all. It's nowhere. That, that is added into the English for us to be able to read this in a way that we would speak it in English. The Greek language, English came, is the grandson of Greek. So Latin came from Greek. English came from Latin. So Greek is the grandpa of English, right? So the, the alphabet is structured kind of the same. There's the same amount of letters in the alphabet, et cetera. But the Greek is a lot freer in how it can structure its sentences, okay? And we see this here. The, so the word might be, that's completely added later so that we, for just readability, that's it. But when I say might be, what, what do you hear in the words might be? Might be? Possibly, maybe. So one liberty, one group of people taking the liberty to say, I think we should put this right here because it would probably read a lot better, has taken generations one or two degrees off of what the original text said. And I don't say that to scare you into reading your Bible. Read your Bible. I'm saying you probably need to study a little bit more when you do read your Bible. You know what I'm saying? Which I mean, you should really, let's be real, you should be doing. So, you know, but this is why we do this. The word might be is not in the original. This is added by, and not, this isn't a shot. This is just legit. This is added by fundamentalist translators. Um, the original Greek is emphatic sozo by itself. Emphatic. And then the word through is on account of, and listen to this. So let me just read it. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The word through, and actually I just realized the NIV does not have might be. So actually that's, that's really good. I just read it and didn't even realize it. The word through, through him the, word, uh, the world might be saved. Listen to this. It, it's through, it means on account of. Listen to what this means. It means for the sake of. So let me just, let me, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world for the sake of him. <laughs> huh? Now, is that not sick? Right? It could be, it, now listen, it, it also could be through, and it also could be on account of him. But I think this brings in a whole nother view of this, which is Jesus came not only to save us for us, but Jesus came to save us because God desired us with him. He came to save us for him. Amen. I mean, that's, that's, really, that's really awesome. That's really good. So let me give you my translation of John 3.17. God sent forth his son into the creation, not to decide the fate of their works, but to make the creation whole through and for him. And the word into, God sent forth his son into, is not, here comes Jesus as fully God plopped in the middle of a bunch of fully human people. It's Jesus saying, 
I am fully God, but I'm going to take on fully human in order that all these people who are fully human will realize they're also, and it's dangerous, to, fully God. This is what, this is a, let, me, let me quote you St. Athanasius. If you don't believe, and I won't, this isn't me, St. Athanasius. Take it up with him one day when we're all resurrected. You ready? Here's what St. Athanasius said in his writing on the incarnation. He said that the Son of God, or God, became man so that man could become, and by become is the, in the original language, because obviously he didn't speak English, is the word to re-become, to, to become again, okay? So God became man so that man could once again realize they are God. Not, not, and see people like, what? You know, no, 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 not that we're God, but that we're God. Not that we're God, but that we are like in image and likeness, God. So Veda is not Josh Brown, but Veda is fully Josh Brown. You see what I'm saying? Veda is completely herself, and yet if you got down to her DNA, she is completely me and Jordan. Okay, that's, so this is, this is so good. In verse 18, and then I'm going I'm to I'm teach just for a second. I, I'm not, I, don't, I told you I'm not going to take you too long today. I know everybody's sleepy, and I really want to get just this, 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 these main points. In verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Really interesting. And the, the word believe there is the same word for entrusted with. In verse 18, Jesus, remember he's talking to Nicodemus, who is a religious leader. Nicodemus goes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, we know that you come from God, etc." And he says, essentially, essentially, how, how can we experience this thing God's doing? And Jesus said, you can experience this kingdom by being born again. He doesn't understand it. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you don't understand this? Essentially, this is something that you should absolutely understand. You must be born again. Nicodemus is like, I've never heard this in my life, right? So in verse 18, when Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. What is he saying? He's contrasting the one, excuse me, he is not contrasting the ones who believe and the ones who don't. He's primarily contrasting the law of Nicodemus and religion against the covenant that has come into the world by way of the son of grace and love. Remember what the word believe means. It means to be entrusted with pistis. It's something that God gives you that you say yes to and operate in, not something you create. So he's not, what Jesus is not saying is, and it does involve our belief. You know what I'm saying? But, but what I'm trying to get you to the point is, is faith is not, ver it's not varied. Faith is yes or no. Do you see what I'm saying? We believe you can have a lot of faith or not a lot of faith, and that's not true. That's completely wrong. It's either you say yes to the faith God has given you or you say no to the faith God has given you, which is why the complete Jewish Bible translates it 100% of the time as trust, which is, I like that much better, trust. So whoever trusts in him is not condemned, but whoever does not trust or is entrusted stands condemned already. He's contrasting the law of Nicodemus with the law or the covenant, let's say, brought in by grace and love through the Son. You cannot live in the God-given life 
that has been given to us through Jesus unless Jesus does away with, fully and finally, the law of works. This, I mean, this is, this is really big. This is really big, okay? You cannot, it's impossible. That's why Jesus said you got to be born again. He's saying you literally got to start it all over, okay? Which I'm going to hit in, at the end. You can't live in God life unless Jesus first does away with fully and finally the law of works. It, it means nothing to believe in Jesus if you're holding the law of performance in your hands. It, does, it means absolutely nothing if you say, I believe in Jesus, if you believe your identity comes by way of what you do. Because then you don't believe in Jesus. You believe in Christianity, but Jesus himself did not believe in a religion called Christianity. He came to do away with all religion, including the religion of Christianity. Uh, uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying? People are like, well, what you talking? No, no, Jesus came to wake the world up to what was real, not, came to get, not come to give them a religion that was much better than all the Buddha and much better than all the Muslims and much better than all the Islamists. And here's a way better religion called Christianity. It's covered in the blood of Jesus. You need to believe in this and do this. That's not what Jesus did or else he would have said, y'all go away and tarry in the upper room and in three days, I'm gonna bring another thing called the King James Leatherbound Bible and that's gonna tell you exactly what you need to do to spread this gospel. He didn't give them a Bible. He didn't give them the New Testament. They wrote the New Testament after they had transformed the globe and as they were transforming the globe. They didn't transform the, form, form the globe by saying, everybody open your Bibles to John 3. They transformed the globe by saying, I've seen something that Moses did not see. You either believe it or not. Jesus taught something that Moses did not have eyes to see, and that's okay. It doesn't mean Moses was wrong. It means at the right time, the Son of God came to save the world. It does not mean Moses was wrong. It doesn't mean the law was wrong. They were all right in their right time. But there came a time when we had to lay down the old and forget the former things and not dwell on the past because he was doing a new thing, which was actually the original thing that if we had gotten the original thing right, we would have never needed the law. So, I mean, so many people, so many people and want to hold this, this, this idea of God from the law in one hand and hold the grace and love of Jesus in another hand. And you can't. Jesus is polarizing. You have to choose Jesus in both hands or law in both hands. You can't have one or the other at the same time because it'll kill you. If you look, because this, this, listen, it's dangerous it's dangerous for us to try and support a religion of performance with the blood of Jesus. That's, that, that is pushing. It's using Jesus as leverage to push the very thing that Jesus came to undo. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you better live holy because of the cross. No, 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 no. You are holy because of the cross. Now you can live. You just see what I'm saying? Like, you, you better be, you better, we better live in righteousness. We are living in righteousness. No matter what you do, you're in righteousness. Why? Because of what was done at the cross. 
you're righteous. The question is whether or not you're going to live in what you are. Not, I've got to do something to be righteous. It's, I am righteous. Therefore, there's probably some things I need to do, which is tell everybody else they're righteous. You see what I'm saying? Completely different. It doesn't mean now that Jesus has done what he did, we're going to sit on our butts and do absolutely nothing. It means now that Jesus has done what he did, we're going to do nothing to earn our identity, but from our identity, we're going to start to do the real works. In verse 19, the word evil, you know, <clears throat> this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because, of their, uh, because their deeds were evil. You ready? The word uh, evil is paneros, which I've taught before. It means laborious. It means painful. It means trouble. It literally means toilsome. It means painful toiling or working. See, we thought evil was people murdering people. No, evil is the mindset that produces people murdering people. That's evil. <laughs> Amen. Um. Everybody close your eyes. No, I'm just kidding. So, you know what I'm saying? So, so, what, so what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came not to fix all of the works of our hands. That's not saved. I am going to use this. Okay. Saved equals whole. Okay. Evil equals works. Eternal quality, excuse me, quality, which is God quality, and life equals God life. <clears throat> okay, so what did Jesus come to do? He came to undo evil. How does him coming to undo here, if y'all can see this? How does he him coming to undo evil affect how we're saved? If we see being evil as stuff that we do, as the fruit of what we do, then we will one hundred percent of the time see saved as him coming to fix all the things that we've done so that we'll do better things. If we see evil in terms of a mindset or in terms of a reality that we've started to live in, suddenly we'll start to see the real salvation coming by way of him making us whole again. And if we finally get to the place where we're whole again, what are we going to start doing? Better, better fruit. If, if, if you have an apple tree in your yard and the apples stink, it's not the apple's fault, it's the tree's fault that produced the apples. We've tried to go, go over and rip apples off of people's tree and tell them, you better start producing better apples or we're going to cut it down when we should have gone into the root system and figure out what is the bad mindset that has taken root in this tree that has caused it to produce bad apples. You, you know what I'm saying? That's why everybody that goes to prison ends up back in prison when they leave. Like, it's like 90%, like 90% right? 90%, 85%, something like that. Go back to prison when they leave. Why? Because prison, all it did was say, no, 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 don't do that again. And what happens? They leave and they go do it again. Rather than sitting down and getting into the mindset of what caused them to do this. And if you fix the mindset, guess what? They're not going to do it again. You see what I'm saying? So this is why Jesus comes with a good news that is way better than the news of you can do better. 
it's you don't have to do anymore. You know what I'm saying? The good news is not, here's a bunch of rules. They're all covered in blood and there's a lot more grace this time. So you can do this, buddy. The, the good news is you can stop performing. And all of a sudden, when you don't feel the pressure to perform, guess what you can finally do? Your purpose, your calling, your assignment. I hate that word, assignment. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the Lord's giving you a, a, an assignment in class, and you better do it, and you're going to get a grade based on how you do this assignment. That tells you all you need to know about religion right there is the fact that we preach messages week in and week out on everybody's assignment. By definition, your assignment gets a grade based on how good you perform that assignment. Everybody in school, right? If, if your professor says, here's a test, and you go in there and completely butcher it, what are you going to do? You're going to get an A? No, you're going to get an F. Why? Because you didn't perform good. And we tell people, this is your assignment. The Lord's given you, an, no, the Lord hasn't given you an assignment. He's given you an identity. So um, let, me, let, me, uh, let me tell you this story. I was, um, I'm, about, I'm almost done. Uh, this morning I was on the way here and I started thinking through the different ways I've heard the gospel taught all my life. And, uh, you know, because people use these stories and most of the time, you know, a lot of, well, a lot of times growing up, it's if you got hit by a bus and you, y'all, did y'all ever do the, um, the, uh, the play? What was it called? Um, oh man, I forget what it was called. But anyway, in the play, we used to do these in different churches in town growing up, but there would be like one place that was hell on the stage, the other place that was heaven. And during the whole thing, people would come up with like beer, beer bottles. And they, if they drank beer in their life, they would be thrown into hell. And y'all remember, did, did anybody else have this play like growing up? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. So yeah, you know, you smoke a cigarette. It's like, oh, you're definitely thrown in hell. And then you have somebody walking up with a Bible and, you know, suit and tie and all that stuff. They're definitely in heaven. And so that is the whole play. You know what I'm saying? Like the whole play was like, you know, and, um, and here's the crazy thing. We didn't even have real beer cans. It had to be like the, the soda cans that look like beer bottles. You know what I'm saying? Because if you had real beer in the church, then you were a sinner. And everybody else was, was hiding beer in the car, drinking before and after church. So um, anyway, <clears throat> but as long as people didn't see it, it's all good. So <laughs> did y'all ever, y'all have the smoker's corner outside of your church? You know what I'm saying? Like we go to church and then you leave and you can't even walk outside without breathing in sec, like secondhand fumes from all the smoke, right? And we just preached a message on how everybody smokes good help. So um, we had these plays. And so I'm thinking this morning, I'm like, man, here's all the ways that we've told people um, that this is, this is the good news. This is the gospel. You know, we'd have like haunted houses. We'd scare people out of their brains. And at the end say, if you don't want to do this forever, you need to repeat this prayer. Thousands of people repeat the prayer. You know what I'm saying? So this, but this is, this is how we've told people the gospel. But I, but I was thinking about it this morning. And I want to give you a better picture. I want to give you a more accurate picture of the gospel. So here, here's, here's the job. I'm not about to read this from my Kindle, but I'm going to give you a quote that's amazing. But anyway, so I, I just want you to picture this for a second, all right? Here, here's what I want you to picture. I want you to picture. Now, before I say this, before I say this, y'all good? Um, do you remember, so our church had a basement. Did any of your churches have a basement growing up? You don't know terror unless you've walked through a church basement at night alone. And so we, we would have like choir practice, different things on Wednesday night. And during choir practice, we would, me and my friends or, you know, whatever, we would go down into the basement and have, play or do whatever. And uh, uh, actually there was one night, um, one of my buddies had a, y'all remember the Christian Mint Cutlass? Y'all remember them? 
So he got a Cutlass CD, but we weren't allowed to listen to that type of music. So we'd all hide in a, in a corner and listen to like contemporary Christian music, that had electric guitars. So we wouldn't get in trouble. And, um, and so anyway, Megan, you know this life, right? Did, Megan, did you, did, you, did you have that? You had the same experience, right? Similar? Somewhat, yeah. yeah. Did you, Megan? Yeah. Yeah, very similar. Okay. Oh, no, just like having to hide to listen to like Hillsong and like all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, if you walk through the church basement at night, and this all has a point. If you walk through the church basement at night, suddenly you start hearing things, you start imagining things, and in the darkness, you'll, you'll start running because you'll think there's absolutely, this never happened in this church, ever happened, this never happened, but there's absolutely someone down here with a chainsaw or a hammer, and they are here to take my life. You know what I'm saying? And every noise you hear, you just, and so you literally, and I know this is funny, you start creating in the dark, you start creating this entire scenario that is solely based on your fears. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it keeps going and going and going and going and going and going until what? Until somebody turns the lights on. So, you're, so I want you to imagine this. This is the gospel, that you're in a mansion, and you start in this mansion, you and your family. You, you grew up in this mansion. You grew up in it. You know it. But over the years... Over the years, you've kind of let it go and you stop changing the light bulbs and you stop paying the bills and you stop, you know, taking care of it. And so there reaches a point where all the light bulbs have gone out, all the electricity is out because you haven't paid for it. And you're in this mansion. It's the mansion you grew up in. You know it. You started there. But you're in this mansion and you're walking around and it's pitch black. It's in the middle of the night. And as you, I want you to imagine this. And as you're walking through the halls and as you're walking up and down the stairs, you're all of a sudden creating these scenarios in your mind, Right. But then I want you to imagine you start hearing footsteps. You start hearing noises like, you know, like just different, like tapping noise and all that stuff. And you start saying to yourself, oh, my Lord, like there's somebody in this house. I'm going to die. And you start getting fearful and you start hiding and you start running and you start avoiding. But you hear the sound and it gets louder and it gets louder and it gets louder and it gets louder. And all of a sudden you get to the end and you're in a corner and you're crouched in the fetal position, terrified for your life because you've created this entire scenario in your mind of what is absolutely happening in this house in the dark, right? You're in the fetal position and suddenly you hear this noise and it's the power generating back on and all the lights are on for the first time in a long time. And as you look up, thinking you're about to see somebody take your life, you see your dad. Now in this moment, what happens immediately in, in one moment you go from scared for your life to you would rather no one else on planet earth be there than that person. Assuming, assuming most of you, assuming you had a good dad growing up, you know, I know people have different, different situations. Okay. And when you look at him, you realize that the noises you heard and the stuff that you heard going on around the house in the footsteps was your dad in the house fixing all the light bulbs and paying all the bills that you've neglected your whole life. And now you see it in full color. That's the gospel. It's that you have created in your mind a view of how things are solely based on your fears. Fears of what? Fears of rejection. Fears of not being good enough 
fears of people saying something about you that isn't true, fears of letting people down, etc. You have all these fears, and so you've built up this view of God that has, at the end of the day, gotten all the way down to, as long as I do the right things, this God will be pleased with me because your whole life, out of fear, you've created this mindset that everybody looks at your worth based on what you do. Because at the end of the day, most human beings see each other as valuable based on what they've done. That does not make it right. Do you see what I'm saying? You, you, you and I are in this room, not because you and I want something, shouldn't be, want something from the other. This is how a church family operates. A true church family gets around the family simply because they enjoy the pleasure of the other's company. And in that, there is permission to be fully yourself without having to hold back the things you think other people are going to be disappointed in. You know what I'm saying? But, but we've created a gospel that said God is a slave driver that is ready to pounce at the moment we mess up. And we've created a religion that said, you've got to do and do and do and do and do. Here's the problem. That is actually the antithesis of the gospel. I believe the Lord would rather us not preach that message at all than to push that message and a bunch of people live their entire lives believing it's about what I have done. How many, I mean, how, how many of you have sat down with older people? Typically, it's older people. How many of you have sat down with older people and you sit down with them and they say, I just, I don't know why this has happened to me. I don't know why I'm walking through this. I've done all, I've done the right things. I've, you know what I'm saying? And you say, and that's just like natural language. I mean, me, you might do that at school. Maybe somebody at your school, like their parents passed away recently or their grandparents or whatever. And you're having a conversation with them and they say, I don't understand this. I've done all the right things. I've gone to church my whole life. You, say, you know what I mean? What, this, this is the view that we have. We believe God is up there t- just tallying up all the things that we've done to make sure we get a certain amount of points. This isn't college. This isn't USC. This isn't high school. This isn't middle school. This is a covenant of love that Ephesians 1.4 says was determined before you were born. Jesus entering into the picture was not God's response to sin. It was God fulfilling the original idea of his will before creation ever existed. That is a massive, massive statement. That's, let me, let me just, let me just, I, see, I'm doing my, so I got a little bit of time. Y'all good? Y'all good? I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Let, I'll, let me just, I read this Tuesday night. Let me read it to y'all though. Let me read it to y'all. This is what Ephesians says, 1-4. He chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. I, I believe if we could get those two verses, it would put an end to every religion. Not just Christianity, all of them. Think, of, think about the people that, that flew the planes into the World Trade Center. Do you know why they thought it was the right thing to do? They, in their religion, they were taught, if we do this, we make it. It, it wasn't as, as hard as this is. It wasn't evil intent that flew those planes into those buildings. 
It was being taught that if they will do something of that magnitude, that they'll make it. See, that's the danger of religion. We, we see, we, we, how far do I go here? We thought it was the, and it absolutely was the devil that, that did things like 9-11. It was the devil by way of religion. See, see, religion, religion's dangerous. Religion will make you do things thinking it's going to earn you favor in the sight of God that you really want. I mean, at the end of the day, every person on planet Earth, all they want, let's be real, is to look at a dad that says, I'm proud of you no matter what you've done. At the end of the day, every, the only thing anyone on planet Earth wants is approval from a father. A mother's approval is amazing, but there is, there is something, and this isn't, no, this isn't a feminist, this isn't a gender thing, okay? But, but at the end of the day, there is something about a father's approval that will make you feel like you can do anything. And, and there's some, and mom too, same thing with a mom. But at the end of the day, that's all we want is to know we are accepted and we will bust our tail to achieve what we don't know we actually want, which is just to be accepted. And Jesus came into the world, very God, Karl Barth says, and very man, equally God and equally man. He comes into the world to say, Papa, wants you exactly as you are. And that gospel wasn't good enough for us. That gospel wasn't good enough for us. We had to take that gospel and turn it into a bunch of things that you do. No, that's it. That's it. You're enough. Not you're enough if you do this. You're just enough. Not you're enough if you look this way or you read this many chapters in the morning or you sing this many songs or you tithe this much amount of money. You're just enough. That's it. I've struggled with this my whole life. Let me tell you a story real quick and I'm done. Um, I just keep telling y'all I'm almost done so that you feel good. So, um, <laughs> but I really am, Matt, you can come up. Matt, you can come up here. You can come up here. What'd you say, Jack? Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I see, I see, I see some of y'all are just like, uh, you know. And that's okay. I feel you today. You, you got a mulligan today. So they just slept till 740. So like, it's the opposite. When fall back, everybody that doesn't have kids is like, this is amazing. Everybody that does have kids is like, Lord, please help us. Because if she wakes up at six, when time falls back, guess what time she wakes up? Five. But on daylight savings time, everybody's like, man, we lose an hour of sleep. Jordan and I get an extra hour of sleep for the next like month. You know what I mean? She slept till eight almost this morning. So it's like, praise the Lord. Um, but anyway, anyway, anyway. So what was I just saying? Somebody remind me what I was just saying. <laughs> I was telling you a story. And I don't even remember what the story was. So performance. performance. Must not have been important. So let me read this quote. Let me read this quote. This is from the shack. And... Um, if you've never read this book, um, you need to do yourself a favor and go read it. And I don't want to hear one email, not one email from one person. All right, well, brother, God's a, God, he made the father a girl in that book. 
I, I don't I don't care. You know what I'm saying? So uh, and at the end, if you read the story, at the end of the story, it's actually a boy. So um, so anyway, but uh, I, so I don't want to hear your emails. Send them to never never mind never mind never mind. Um, uh, this is I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this this quote from the shack. It says trust is the fruit of a relationship in which you know you are loved. Listen, and he says, because you do not know that I love you, you cannot trust me. This is, this is in the story, God speaking to the man. He says, trust is the fruit of a relationship in which you know you are loved. Because you do not know that I love you, you cannot trust me. I, I wonder if the salvation of the world, the being made whole of the world, has more to do with the fact that the world does not know how extravagantly that it is loved than it has to do with the fact that the world just wants to be bad. That's what we think. We think everything that's happening in the world is because people are evil. No, people don't know how much they're loved. And because they don't know how much they're loved, they start sliding into a Pawnee Ross mentality, which is if I don't, listen, if I don't think I'm loved, what am I going to do? Something to be loved, which is evil. Do you, do, y'all, do you see this? The, e- the evil around us is nothing but the fruit of a mindset that says, I am not loved. But the reality is you are loved. So you feeling like you're not loved is a lie. It's not true. For God loved the world in this way. He so preferred the world in this way that he sent his one and only son to become the world so that through him, the world would not be judged by what they've done, but the world would be saved by what he has done. And I, and I, I said this Tuesday night, I said this Tuesday night, which Tuesday night was awesome if y'all weren't here. But If we see God sending Jesus to become flesh as God's response to what the world had done, in other words, the world had started losing their ever-loving mind. They started sin- they started turning to other gods, all that stuff, and God said, "I know how we can fix this. Jesus, you're up." which sounds good and sounds right, but there, there, it's just slightly off. God was not surprised by our sin. God was not shocked. God was not blown away that we would do that. Before the foundation of the world, God met and answered our sin, knowing we would sin and still created 
why would he do that? That's the question I've had multiple people send me this week. Is if God, if God had this in their mind, in his mind, if God had in his mind salvation, why would he not just either A, send Jesus right there in the beginning after they ate the wrong tree, send Jesus, fix it all, and keep going by there? Or, or why would he just not create them with an inability to do that? This is real deep. Y'all good? I need your brains. Okay. In order, I like this whiteboard. All right. In order to be, we're created like God, right? In order to be like God, God did not want servants. Like, I need you to hear this. Father, Son, and Spirit weren't spinning in their relationship fully satisfied. And you know what we need? We need people to worship us. We need slaves to do what we want. No, no. We were created in the image and likeness of God because he wanted kids to include in the DNA and relationship that God had before time existed. I've taught this before. God filled everything, but he created space within himself for you and I to fill in him. That's why Paul says in Colossians that we were created in and through and for God. John says the same thing in John 1, that we were created through the Son. Why is that huge? Because we weren't just created apart from God to serve God. We were created within God to be joined in relationship with God to serve one another. So it wasn't God saying, I need people to serve me. It was God saying, I want those in relationship that they serve and we serve and we spin in this servant humility until we create such a fusion that it begins to spawn off until the earth is full of those who are the fruit of those made like God. I know that was a lot, okay? So Jordan, I said, Jordan and I fully fulfilled in our marriage, fully fulfilled in our relationship. We did not create Veda so, so that it would fill a hole in something that we did not have. If you, if you have a kid to fill a hole in a marriage, the hole is gonna get bigger and it's not gonna be filled. That's, to, that's for somebody online today, praise God. You know what I'm saying? No, we spawned off, if you use that language, Veda, because we were completely satisfied. It wasn't filling a void. We were so satisfied in our relationship that the satisfaction of our relationship had to produce another to share in the satisfaction of that relationship. Okay? So Veda inherits everything from me and Jordan. Why? Because Jordan and I, in the love that we have for each other, simply decided to create something else to join in with it. That's it. So when I die, guess, and Jordan dies, guess who gets all of our stuff? Veda. Why? Because we decided before she was born, she would be included in that relationship. So we were created like God, us, which means God put us on his level. If we're on God's level, we have to have the ability to choose like God, right? We can't be robots, that would be servants. If we're gonna be full thinking people like God, we have to be on the same level as God as far as our thinking, which is why you have a tree of knowledge of good and evil that you're not supposed to eat of and a tree of life. 
because we have to have the ability to choose and to say no to things that we don't, that aren't good for us if we're going to be like God. We chose wrong. We chose knowledge rather of, good, of evil. And I say knowledge of evil because Adam and Eve already knew what was good. If you read through the days one through six, what does it say at the end of every day? It was good. And when Adam and Eve are created, it says they are very good. They know what good is. So by eating of the knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the only foreign concept entering into the picture is a knowledge of evil. They already know what good is. And what is evil? Evil is just a measurement of good. Darkness does not exist. Darkness is a measurement of what does exist, which is light. Evil at the same place is nothing more than a measurement of good, right? It's not these people are evil and these people are good. It's these people are good and these people are living in a very small amount of goodness that they were designed for, which is evil. So the knowledge of evil is a knowledge of measuring. Because in order to live in evil, you have to live in a measurement of good. So they could either eat of the tree of life and live, or they could eat of the tree of the knowledge of something they're gonna measure up to and they choose the knowledge. But listen, listen, listen. This is why I went through that whole rant. This did not surprise God. It wasn't a shock. God didn't say, my Lord, I cannot believe they did. God planted the tree. When he put the seed in the ground and rose the tree up from the ground, he knew they were going to miss it. He knew that. And before he created it, he accounted for and answered their wrong before they ever existed. Y'all with me? So that's why I believe in predestination. I believe all are predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. I just say I believe in predestination because I like playing on the reform thing. Y'all just don't take that too far, okay? That was mostly, that was mostly just tongue in cheek. So Lord, some, some, I saw some of y'all be like, huh? It's just, it's just a joke. It's okay. It's just a joke. So in order, he met, this, this is why this is huge. That means that Jesus entering time God, God is eternal. We exist in a time dimension for now. Etern, above time, eternally, Jesus had already met and answered our wrong, had already met it and answered it. But Romans says, Romans 5, at the right time, Jesus came not as a response to our sin. That had already been met before we were born. Jesus came as the fulfillment of what had already been met before we were born. This is amazing news because this, that what I just said puts an end to every bit of feeling like you got to perform because Jesus didn't come because of your bad performance. Jesus came because of the word of God before you ever had a chance to have a bad performance. Jesus came to fulfill the eternal word of God, not to combat your bad. Jesus came to fulfill the eternal word of God, which was, I want you like me in the spin. 
And the minute that you are in the spin, but you start living like you're not, requires me to step in as a dad and remind you, this is who you are, not that, this. And there's a lot of people living in H-E-L-L, and I'll say that because we got kids in the room. There's a lot of people living in that right now before they've died. A lot of people, because they're walking around thinking, I've got to do this, I've got to be this, I gotta go sleep around with people, I gotta do this, I gotta take this, I gotta make sure I do this, I gotta go party and do And the only thing people are doing when they're doing that is they're searching for an intimacy that they were made for. Deep is crying out to deep, they just don't know where it's crying out to. It's crying out to the throne room where a father is sitting there waiting, ready to say, this is who you are. Who am I? Me. Philip looks into the eyes of Jesus and says, if we see the Father, that'll be enough. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I believe in that moment, two things happen to Philip because he's looking into a human Jesus. He's been resurrected, but he's looking into a human Jesus. So two things happen. Jesus looks at Philip and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And at that moment, Jesus gives him permission to see both man and father represented in Jesus. So when Philip looks into the eyes of Jesus, he sees exactly who the Father is like. And by seeing exactly who the Father is like, he sees exactly who we are like, which is like the Father. Let me end, I'm, I'm gonna end with this. I'm not gonna read it. The prodigal son, which is not the prodigal son, never was. If there is a prodigal son in the story, it's the older one. The, pro, the prodigal, the son that we call prodigal, did you, he, starts, he starts at home. He starts at home. Uh, y'all have been here long enough to be like, yes, mate, we know that, we know that. The son start. his sonship was never in question. And that Jesus, Jesus says, let me give you some parables about lost things. If you wanna know how the lost are found, go to Luke 15 and it'll show you. And he gets to the son and he says that this son was at home and the son goes to the father and asks for his inheritance. The father gave him his life. The son runs off. He starts eating. Now, this is, uh, this is brand new. You ready? I've never taught this. He starts eating slop. This is, this is salvation. You ready? The son is in the dirt. He goes to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating on. The Jews saw pigs as completely unclean. So he was going to feed on what that which is unclean feeds on. And as he goes to do this, Luke 15, Jesus says, he came to his senses. That's salvation. But here, here's, the, here's the problem. Here's the problem. He comes to his senses, and what does he say? He says, the servants in my father's household have plenty to eat. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna beg my dad to make me a slave. And what we did was we stopped at the mentality of you've woke up, but now you're a slave. Somewhere in the process of leaving home and coming back home, there was a manipulation in vision, which caused him to once, he's still the son, 
His sonship has never changed, but now he's, he's calling himself a slave. I'm gonna go home and beg my dad to make me a slave. Do you hear the, the, the irony in that language? I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna beg my dad, which would make you the son, to make me a slave. He is willing to settle for being a slave because God has given him the grace to come to his senses by way of being made whole. So if we tell people about how to be made whole without taking them all the way to the fact that you're not just whole and a slave, you're whole and the same son as you were when you were born. That, that, that's the gospel. And the son comes home and he starts repeating the sinner's prayer. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I know I'm not worthy to be called your son, but if you'll just make me a slave. And the dad says, stop. And he turns around and he says, you go get my robe. You go get my ring. You go get my shoes. And you go get the calf that I've been preparing for two years, knowing my son was gonna come home. My son is home. And that's the gospel. And you and I, for the most part of the biggest part of our lives, we've gotten this story all the way up to the point where he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And we parked ourselves right there and we've lived years in that mentality. When the whole time the father has been trying to whisper to you, you are my daughter, you are my son, you are not a slave. We keep living like a slave and the father's trying to convince us that we're kids. That is what you call hell. That's it. There, there it is. It's you living like a servant when the father's trying to get you to realize that you're a son or a daughter. You're not a slave. There is not a list of rules that you have to keep to, get, to stay in the house. There's not a list of things that you have to do in order to eat. There's not a list of things that you have to do in order to keep your housing right. You are a kid. It doesn't matter what you do, when you cut you open, you bleed the same blood as the dad. You bleed the same DNA as the father. Nothing can change that. You couldn't run far enough away to change who you really are. And so the gospel is calling us. Salvation is calling us to come home. And I want to, maybe not even to come home, to realize that you've been home all along. I had a conversation with somebody this week. Um, and uh, they, this is the story I was gonna tell earlier. They, uh, they've been running from God for a, long, a really long time. But I haven't talked to this person in years. It's been years. And so we sit down and we start talking and we get through, we get through the, sorry, we get through the small talk and all that stuff. And I just start talking about the Lord. And uh, cause you know, they were asking about what type of church we are, blah, 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 blah. So I start talking about the Lord and I start walking through some of this stuff because he's got a lot of questions how how if god were love how could if, if i'm this how could etc and i start walking through some of this stuff and i and I, this is not i start to see a light come back on and i leave and i sat in my car and i was torn up in the presence of God over the fact that I don't think I have ever shared the gospel and saw that. 
And I've shared the gospel with a lot of people in my life, mostly as a pretender. And I'm sitting down and I see life flood back in. And you know what I'm telling him about? Not about how to be holy, not about the rules. All I'm telling him about is the reconciliation that came by way of a dad that came by way of a bridegroom that said, you're enough just as you are. And if it takes you nailing me to a cross to realize that I still see you as enough just the way you are, then that's what it takes. And, that, and that's the gospel. And that's not a license to sin. That's a license to live. That's not a license to say, well, man, I can go out and do whatever I want. If that's the case, you haven't been saved. Because now when I say saved, what am I saying? Made whole. If you're still thinking in terms of Pony Ross, evil, if you're still thinking in terms of what can I get away with, you haven't been made whole, which means you haven't been saved. We, the church, needs to be saved first. The church in America needs to be saved before we go try to save anybody else. Because what we're doing is we're taking our religion and trying to push people and funnel people into our religion. And all we're doing is telling a bunch of people who are lost that they're saved because they're going to heaven when they die. I'm telling, we've got to, we got to shift the narrative. I'm trying to get heaven into how we live. I'm not trying, I'm not waiting till I die to experience heaven. I'm gonna experience heaven tomorrow morning when I wake up and I get in heaven. And it's not because I'm going anywhere, it's because it's coming here. Heaven meets me in my dining room when I wake up at five in the morning and walk into my dining room, heaven meets me there because heaven is standing on tiptoe waiting for an opening to enter into the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe when the veil was torn in the temple when Jesus was crucified, I can see the spirit of God behind that, almost like a bull. You know, ever watch like bull, like uh, when the, they got the dude with the red cloth and, and the bull's behind the gate and it's just like, re- it's ready. It's like slamming against the gate and finally they release it and it's just like, boom. I see the Holy Spirit in the whole, he's, Holy Spirit has been, God has been contained in the Holy of Holies for hundreds of years and he was never designed to be contained in a Holy of Holies. I can see as Jesus is on the cross, I can see the Holy Spirit just like a bull, just ready, ready, ready. Jesus says it is finished. And from the top down, the six, you know how thick the curtain was going into the Holy of Holies? Six inches thick. That's that thick. There is not a man that's going to rip that thing, which is why it was six inches thick. And when Jesus breathes his last breath and gives up his spirit, the veil tears. And I can see Holy Spirit just, because what has God, I'm done. What has God been waiting for since Exodus 19 and 20 at Mount Sinai? What has he been waiting for all these years? to tell them that they are much more valuable than they think they are. And when that veil rips, now there's nothing holding the spirit of God back from teaching the human race about Jesus. That's the job of the spirit. It's not to make us bilingual. That was a joke. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
I, I'm, I, pray in Paul, I pray in tongues more than ye all. That's what Paul says in King James. I do. I pray in tongues all the time. I love it. It's amazing. It's amazing. And that's right, yeah. But that's not the job. The, whole, the job of the Holy Spirit is to make God's fatherhood known. That's what it says in the New Testament. That's what Paul says. That the Holy Spirit was given to us that cries out, Abba, Father. It's to make God's fatherhood known. So when you speak in tongues, you're speaking the language of son-father relationship or daughter-father relationship. You know what I'm saying? When you prophesy, when you pray over people, when you have discernment, when you do all the gifts of the Spirit, when you do those things, you're doing those out of a revelation of the Father's reality in your life. And that, that's what the, the charismatic church for years has tried to do all the works of the Spirit without having the guts to sit down and realize how true of a Father He really is. The, the Lord is shifting the thing. And now I don't have to tell you that I'm anything. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to call myself an apostle in this church. I don't have to call myself a prophet. I don't have to call myself a big name preacher. I don't have to call myself anything because I'm so convinced that I'm a son of the Father. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of me, I'm full. And then what kind of ministry can we do? Y'all good? Does anybody else got anything you wanna throw in here? Matt, you got anything you wanna throw in? No? (laughs) Does anybody else, for real? Want to add anything? Take away anything? No, I'm just kidding. I won't give you that opportunity. Um, <laughs> I'm just playing. I, uh, y'all bow your heads. We'll, we'll close it out. That's what it means to be saved. God sent his son into the world, not to judge it by what it's done, but to make it whole by what he's done. That's it. He, he sent us, salvation is you being made right. I, um, I wanna, re- while every head is bowed, eyes closed, I wanna re- repent of something for, from you guys. Um, late, I've been in a, the enemy has been after me the past three weeks. I mean, all, just everything the enemy's got after me. And uh, I sat down with a spiritual father on Thursday, Mr. Bragg, and he said, uh, he said, Josh, I love you enough to tell you this, which is how I know I'm about to get my hide stripped. And, um, but it's good. And he said, uh, he said you've, been, you've been a little edgy lately. And I said, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I know exactly what you're talking about. And, uh, and he said, you know, you're not doing this alone, right? And I, 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 I want to I repent to you guys and by repent, I mean change the way I think. Um, over may, maybe lately being a little a little edgy. Um, I'm not going to apologize for being edgy sometimes if it's righteous, but um, there. But there has been a uh, I have I have been going through, and I, I believe it's because we have hit a gold mine that all all Hades is terrified of is absolutely terrified of. What happens when we tell the globe they're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because God said so? That is freedom like we have never even thought of experiencing. And so I just want to repent of that to you guys. And I also want to tell you, though, that we're, we're, we're so being baptized in the love of God right now. 
I want to dare you to go as deep as you can. I Don't stop. Do not stop. There is no place, no place that you could go too deep into the love of God. I, I want to dare you to go deep. And I want, I want to dare you to start seeing this in people around you that aren't in this room. At your job, there's probably people that have run from church. There's probably people that have never been in church, etc. I, I want you to start seeing them in this way. That the Lord opened up the way for them to live completely whole. All they've got to do is trust in the fact that they've been made whole. That's it. And you become the agent in which they get permission to live like that. And so I I just pray that over us right now, Lord. I pray that you would allow us to be agents of wholeness everywhere we go, that we will be so whole within ourselves that we begin to let that overflow into everybody else around us and they become whole. That's how the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. We become convinced of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord until the people around us become convinced, etc. Is there anybody in the room that uh, you would say maybe you're not whole? You're not, and I went like, I'm not like questioning where you're going when you're not. We're, we're beyond that. I'm talking about you're not whole. Like you have fractures on the heart level that the Lord wants to deal with and make you whole in. That's what salvation is. Is there anybody in the room, you would, you would just be courageous enough to just throw your hand up and let me pray over you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah. Awesome. Let me pray. Lord, I pray over those that just... Um, I pray over those that just raised their hands. There, there's just, there is a grace for wholeness in this room and in this group. And I pray that you would do that. But here's how you're gonna do it. I pray that you would make the reality of our wholeness real to us. And that's how we're gonna be whole. It's not that we need to be made whole. It's that we need to be convinced of the fact that we are whole. God has already given us everything we need for anything that he wants to do in us. He's already given us all of that stuff. We've just got to be convinced we've already been given all that stuff. So Lord, I thank you for doing that. I thank you for the convincing you're doing in us right now. And I honor you in this place, in your name. Amen, amen.